Welcome to the Experts Speak, a service of the Florida Psychiatric Society. I'm Abby Strauss, and thanks for listening. When we speak of global and environmental health changes, there is a need to look at it both from the larger perspective of the entire world and also what is in our own neighborhoods. One common local concern is the medical effects of agricultural and industrial activities, and specifically we are going to talk about one that is known as agricultural burning. If we were in the northwestern part of the United States, we'd see discussions on the production of coal. Other concerns around the world are related to industrial discharge, waste materials, or pesticides. But here in South Florida, we have to discuss the role of sugarcane burning and its medical effect on those who are downwind from the burning, as well as the effects of all that ash that is being washed into the ground and into our water supply. Of course, we do share this same concern with other regions of the world. Julia Hathaway is from the Sierra Club and has graciously agreed to discuss this issue with us. Thank you for being with us. Oh, no, thank you. Thanks for the opportunity to talk about it. We know that there is a considerable amount of controversy over this topic, which is all the more reason that it has to be brought to discussion. I want to begin with three questions in one question, which is something you're never supposed to do. Is there a safer way to clear the fields and burning them? And what are the effects to the smoke as it goes downwind? And the third part of this is, why has the Sierra Club made this an issue? If I could take the third one first, Sierra Club is making this an issue because the situation has changed over the years. For 60 years, sugar has been produced in the Florida EAA, what we call the Everglades Agricultural Area. It's a huge number of acres. It's over 400,000 acres. And for 60 years, every year, for half a year, every day, at least 50, 60 times a day, they burn. And they burn over 300,000 of those 400,000 plus acres. Over time, and in certain instances, in very intense ways, they affect the people who live east-west, now all around the EAA. But in other countries, they have moved to more modern production techniques. And typically, it's called green harvesting, where they don't burn. And the, the reason for burning is to get rid of what they call trash. It's the leaves, the foliage, the tassels. And then they just go ahead. They take the combines into the field. They take the bamboo-like stalks to the mill. And they go ahead and they process. Well, with green cane harvesting, you can make beneficial use of the whole plant and make products and actually have an economic advantage. The dynamics have changed, and we think that the argument for sticking to old practices that hurt people, the science from elsewhere is compelling. The science from Florida is scant nil. We really want to take another go at this issue so that we can bring a better day to South Florida, not only for people who breathe, but for people who want to make a good living here. The burning seems to have a very long history in agriculture, that a long time ago they would burn the fields to get the snakes out of the field before they would send the workers in to clear the fields. There may have been some utility to that, but it does reduce the burden of harvesting. It sounds, from what you're saying, as if that's driven more by economics than anything else these days. I'll try not to speculate. There is an economic concern how to use the whole plant and get the best product, that's legitimate. And there's um, considerable research ongoing about that. 
in years past, they had to burn because they couldn't make it economically with harvesting by machete, which is how they used to do it before mechanization. And yet there were ancillary benefits because animals make their homes in these fields, and it was quite dangerous for the people who had to go in there. But these days, it's really a question of how can you do this best and what's best for Florida? Let's look at the success stories from elsewhere and import them. Let's go back for just a moment to the specifics of burning. The burning is of the leaves. That obviously is not where much of the sugar is. Is that correct? That is correct, yep. And so they burn them, and then what, they just chop the canes, hence sugar cane, and that's what's processed. With the old processing techniques, yes. Okay. With the new processing techniques that you just alluded to saying going on in other countries, what's different? What do they do that's different? Why don't they have to burn? They've chosen not to burn because, number one, people are being made sick. The smoke from just the plant, not even the chemicals that are applied to the plant throughout the growth season. The plant itself, just like tobacco, when you burn it, certain chemicals come off it. And in addition, you've got all that particulate matter because no burn is so efficient that you do not have soot. People breathe it in. It produces respiratory issues, cardiovascular issues. They're finding more and more problems associated with the burning of this plant that has been studied, as I said before, primarily overseas, which is unfortunate. They've moved away from the burning because it's harmful. They've also done it because they found that in certain places like Australia, over the longer term, say five to seven years, you have a better yield. There is a legitimate reason to say we have to look at what works for Florida. You know, we have these muck soils. And we have the particulars related to processing and growing and processing sugarcane here. Elsewhere, they've moved away from it because not only does it hurt people, but because there's an economic opportunity. They take the entire plant and they use everything that they can to sometimes fuel the plant. The bagasse is the woody material left over from the actual stock. And here in Florida, they do burn some of the bagasse, but other places where they grow cane, Brazil, Australia, etc., pretty much every other place they grow cane, they're utilizing the so-called trash product. They can make everything, including the leaves, into product like bioethanol. Brazil has become, behind the United States, the world's leading producer of bioethanol. They can now make aviation fuel out of it when it's appropriate. You can use just the so-called trash as what they call a trash blanket. It's got to be done appropriate to the place where it's being grown, but you can produce a mulch blanket that's of particular thinness or thickness and utilize it on, say, sandy soils as opposed to muck soils. That's really the simplest thing they can do. They make it into fiberboard, all sorts of other cardboard and bioplastic products like cafeteria cutlery. The Florida industry has looked at this somewhat, but there's just a resistance here to going the way of the world. It appears that the harvesting machines can do a lot of this automatically, that they can either mulch the leaves, drop the leaves, separate the leaves perhaps a little bit. I'm getting the sense that other countries are using more advanced machines than we are. Is that a fair statement? Well, I have to be careful because I, I don't like to overspeak, but it sure. is fair to say that we are using the same harvesters here as elsewhere. We just don't turn on the fan. And increasingly, we are looking at sort of pneumatic processes where you get a beneficial blast of air from compressed gas. And these so-called cleaning facilities are becoming more and more prevalent. 
the science is really progressing. The issues are still there for the getting the best product, and, and the trash is an issue when you green harvest. These are not only issues because of the public health issue, but these are economic opportunities for people. Are there any government programs that you know of that monitor the smoke quality that is released when they do the burns? Under the Clean Air Act, we do monitor the federal statute is delegated to the state, and then it's the Palm Beach County Health Department that does the monitoring. And it's important for me to say right off the bat that the growers are not in violation. They do not exceed the standard for the handful of pollutants that we in the county currently monitor for. However, that said, the reason that they don't have exceedances is because burning is episodic and very intense. And when you monitor over a 24-hour period, it sort of dilutes, so you're really not measuring appropriately. You're not really getting at what people are experiencing. What people tell me is, and I grew up here, and it used to ash rain in my front yard. I was out in Wellington recently, and it was ash raining outside of Starbucks. What people experience is from a nuisance where they feel like they're getting a cold or a flu, or their eyes burn, or of course there's the smell. But then at the other end of the spectrum, you have people who are just debilitated when their asthma is exacerbated, or over the long term, the chronic problem produces life-compromising pulmonary illness and effects, and this is not a small matter. This is this is life-shortening and life-compromising. Is there a general season during which the burning occurs? Yes, it's pretty predictable. It's a little flexible, but generally speaking, they burn from October through the end of March. Last year, I believe they went into April somewhat. The burning takes place pretty much all day. The only time they do not burn is at night for reasons of safety. They don't want anybody to be hurt driving, and this did happen. There was a terrible accident years ago, and so the only time they do not burn is at night, so they burn pretty much all throughout the day, seven days a week, all those acres, it's for half a year. And these are commonly known as sugarcane burning zones, and they rotate and they're given permits, but there are thousands and thousands of these per year. Yes. The research that we have done, for last season, there was over 11,000 permits let. And the way they do it is they go online and they have to seek a permit for the day of burn. And they put in certain considerations and, of course, the location. The situation has to, climatic conditions have to be okay for them to burn. They can't have a high wind speed in a certain direction, for example, because then they know they're going to be excessively impacting people. And I would say hurting them. That's how it's done. The thing is with the zone, the issue of sugar burning is very political because, as I said, it's harmful. But sugar is a very powerful political voice in Florida. That said, they are not immune to public pressure. And in years past, when there have been complaints and, and the impact has been just too much, they have responded. And they worked with the Florida Division of Forestry, and they came up with these management practices, these protocols. And the way they do it is that they have a, a zone sort of map of the Everglades agricultural area. And based on the climatic conditions, et cetera, in that particular zone, they institute certain practices or restrictions. To my mind, this is a classic environmental justice situation where a corporation is externalizing the cost of their doing business onto the surrounding community. In the AEAA, most people don't make a lot of money. They don't have a lot of options. They can't leave. They, their education will not permit them much recourse and choices for what they do with their lives 
I had to read the burning protocol several times before I landed on the truth. And I confirmed the truth with the Department of Forestry. And the truth is that there are no considerations, no restrictions for the communities who live to the west of the field. It's only the more upscale, more politically potent, people with greater financial recourse, communities to the east of the field who have consideration. And so when I found that, I was just beyond appalled. It sounds as if most people are unaware of this. I and, you know, it also brings another question to my mind. Are people downwind notified that there's going to be a burn? I don't believe so. But, again, I have not confirmed okay, with that's fair. the facts or the health department. But, you know, growing up here, it's just kind of been that's the way it is. Over the past year or two, people have come at this question again. It always has been, well, that's what we have to do. That is not true. There is a better way of doing business that actually might bring more opportunity to these communities like in Belle Glades. It would be incredible to be able to sit down with the industry and say, how can we go forward? How can we make this transition? How can we support you in it? And what are the opportunities? What can we do here in Florida looking at what else, what has been done elsewhere and take the best and tailor it to here work collaboratively to surmount whatever challenges might arise and do better by everybody, the people who are harmed. You're saying that it's really not developing a new science. The techniques exist as are being done in other countries. And you've also said just turning the fan on can make a world of difference. Australia uses the new techniques. Brazil uses the new techniques. I know that even just very recently, there was a lot of discussion about huge sugarcane burning in Hawaii, which yeah. looks like it's the same as being done here. So the techniques exist. It's not a new science. It's using an existing science. Is that what you're saying? Yes. People have been looking at this and working at it for years. The U.S. is the laggard. And in Hawaii, they had a terrible experience in May where a burn went wrong. A bunch of kids ended up in the ER. This is this is not a nuisance. I know you're not a physician. I'm, I'm not asking you to comment on medical point of view, but do you know of any studies that suggest people downwind really do have a higher degree of lung issues and other health issues and asthma and the sequelae of breathingness? Do we have that data, or is it not that not here? I think it's important to say that the Florida legislature, the governor, none of our leaders has taken up this issue. The best data we have for Florida is from a laboratory study that was done at the University of Florida where they burned just the plant, again, no, no applied chemicals, in a laboratory incinerator and measured the emissions. And the news was very bad. I mean, it was not a surprise because we've got this great body of science from elsewhere. In addition to the particulate matter, serious problem, you have a number of toxic chemicals and some of those are carcinogens. The possibility of doing some sort of epidemiological study in Florida is politically, well, not good <laughs> because we just don't have the political will. And so it's really incumbent upon us to insist on it. Versus talking to folks, yeah, they're suffering. And so we just need to build our own voice and say this needs to improve. Where can people go for a reasonable, balanced discussion of the sugarcane issues or any agricultural burning. Are there websites out there that are balanced and complete? Unfortunately, I would say no. My experience in doing this research is that there is a, an authentic concern for the health impacts from agricultural burning. The state of the science 
is pretty poor here. But we know that whether you're burning detritus from a field or doing pre-harvest burning of sugarcane, that smoke hurt people. And so there is an intent to do better. And in 2006, I believe, there was a workshop, Agricultural Air Quality. And these things are recognized as problematic. But on the other hand, the industry here is not collaborative as it is For example, in Brazil, they've come together and they've decided to cooperate so that they stop burning altogether in San Paulo by 2017. It's called the Green Protocol. The political landscape is night and day. I don't know how we improve that, but the first thing we do is find out what people are experiencing. And toward that end, we're going to be doing some community outreach, especially in the EAA, to try to document that, at least qualitatively, and then build the community voice that there be leadership on this issue. If I can summarize, you are saying that to this problem, we really do have the techniques to significantly lessen the problem. It's just a matter of going through the processes, initiating them and executing them and and bringing them here to Florida. I think that's exactly right. At the end of the day, we can do so much better. Julia Hathaway is from the Sierra Club. Thank you again for being with us. Thank you, Dr. Strauss.